A lot of smart kids there. They lack executive perspective. Now, my story's not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A black executive perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A black executive perspective. In your career, what has been a bigger problem, being a female or being African-American or neither? You know, I would have to say being African-American. Um, I think that um, it is still, you know, a, an issue in our environment to accept people of different races, more so than it is gender. Um, I've, I think I've seen a lot of progress with women in, in corporate America, and I'd like to see more progress with people of color. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, Tony Tidbit, and I'm excited today because we're going to dive into some really, really heavy stuff. In addition, we're going to introduce a new member of Tony Tidbit and Friends. So one of the things that's very important, you know, in our second episode, we talked a little bit about race in corporate America. Why is there still a glass ceiling? We touched on a couple of things, but we really didn't get a chance to dive in deeper and provide you, you know, more of our thoughts, more of the facts, more of the research in terms of what's happening in corporate America today from a a, a gender standpoint, as well as for people of color in terms of moving up the ranks in senior leadership positions. So as we stated in that episode, we were going to come back to this. And today is the day where we're going to definitely dive in and we're going to devote the majority of this episode on why is there still a glass ceiling? But before we do that, I'm very excited. Like I said, we have a new member to Tony Tidbit and Friends. And I'm excited to be able to introduce this individual. He's somebody that I've learned a lot from. I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a lot from. But before I introduce him, I just want to give you a little background in terms of, you know, what is Tony Tidbit and Friends? Well, one of the things, as I've talked about before, this platform is not about Tony Tidbit just going off and telling his opinions, and and trust me, I'm going to do that, right? But it's more about bringing on other individuals who can provide a different perspective, who may be more relatable in certain things, and more importantly, I don't know everything, right? So it's very important to bring other people on that can be on this platform and help educate, help all of us learn from one another. So that's where Tony Tidbits and Friends come from. You guys already know Les Fry who we love and just hearing your feedback in the episodes that she's appeared in. You love her, her energy, her intellect, everything she's bringing to the table. Well, guess what? We're going to continue that. We're going to have other individuals that come on. So you're going to meet our friend today, Chris Reed, uh, who's somebody that, like I said, I'm excited about. This guy brings a whole level, whole nother level of energy, intellect, and I'm pretty sure you're going to like him as well. However, it's not going to stop at that, Right. We're always going to be bringing on new individuals to come and join this platform. And matter of fact, you may be listening to this platform right now. You may be watching this platform. Guess what? You may be on this platform as well, right? Where you can come on and chat because this is a safe space where we all want to learn from one another. We want to make these uncomfortable conversations about race 
comfortable. And the only way we can do that is bringing on all different type of people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, to be able to share, share their stories, learn, hear their points of view on certain things that's happening in the world, certain topics. So that trend is going to continue throughout a Black Executive Perspective podcast. So my friend, Chris Reed, he's joining the Tony Tidbits and Tony Tidbit and Friends. Chris, welcome, my man. Man, thank you so much, man. Appreciate the platform, appreciate the opportunity, and uh, just love to add because you're doing something real magical here, and I think it's a, a good way to uh, showcase, you know, what we have going on and, and our voice. And so, but uh, happy to be here. Buddy, I'm happy for you to be here, too. And so just give us a little bit of your background, man. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, your family, and then why you wanted to be a part of this platform. Absolutely. So, uh as far as being where I'm from, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Illinois, uh, a town called Peoria, uh, Caterpillar headquartered there forever. And so a lot of my folks uh, worked at Cat and did the factory thing and killed them for the OT, you know, that type of situation. So I uh, grew up around that, but then um, had aspirations to kind of get out and do something different. It was very uh, secluded from a, a perspective, different from the South. When I moved to the South, I realized... Uh, disparities in, in racism and this kind of apropos that we talk about the glass ceiling today because we knew kind of where we were and where we were supposed to be and didn't aspire beyond that so I was somewhat of an outsider in that regard luckily I got involved in sports and that kind of took me different places you know they say when you get professional it can take you all around the world well it took me all around the midwest um so <laughs> so it was one of those kind of deals but uh was always encouraged by my family to you know do my thing and um was outgoing in that regard, but got into school and uh, had some good opportunities. I think one of the greatest moments I had was uh, got an internship at an international commodities brokerage firm. So, you know, the Chicago Board of Trade is there, and so they do corn and wheat and stuff that you would think of from the Midwest, right? You know, you sell these things, these commodities. And uh, I realized that people could get paid a lot of money to regurgitate information. And I was like, I was hooked. I was hooked. <laughs> Let me just be a smart guy and just say stuff and get paid. You know, so I didn't have to kill him for the OT. Didn't have to have carpal tunnel surgery. None of that. Right. <laughs> so that's what I was on, you know, from then on. And since then, I've uh, done a decent job of trying to go where opportunities are. Uh, I've lived in a couple places, lived in Atlanta, got promoted to Little Rock, Arkansas, got you know promoted again to Dallas and then uh, got with different companies. I've been with five Fortune 500 companies. Uh, four of which are Fortune 50 companies. And so um, have a good perspective as far as aligns with what you bring in this platform for how things look different places. Some places are more militaristic. Some places are more wide open, open door type situations. But all of them still have that same kind of veil that we can't tend to peek behind. And so I think that that information, that perspective helps me, helps your viewers. I've had great mentors, great opportunities, great visibility. Uh, fast track programs, things of that nature. So even in, in, in my current role, um, it's very interesting to see kind of the threshold or where you could see yourself uh, eventually in this, in this rat race, so to speak, you know? Mm. Awesome, buddy. Awesome. So you got a, a, a very wide background, but let's back up a little bit because you said mm -hmm. you got a chance to play sports. Tell us a little bit like what sports, where did you play? So uh, I played football. So I, the, the funny thing about it was I grew up at a time where uh, the programming was such that if you want to get out of here, <laughs> we can't afford to do that for you. So you can either go to the military or you can, you know, get this, this hustle on with this with sports thing. And so ran track and, and played football and uh, did pretty good at that. Um, 
it, it, up until the injuries, you know. So it's one of those things. We, I talked to some of my old buddies, and they tell you that Gail Sayers' injury to end his career for the Bears would have been two weeks off this, you know, with technology the way it is now, right? And so it was one of those times where um, I ended up getting hurt when I was in high school, but it didn't uh, affect my opportunity to uh, get a scholarship to play football, and that took me seven hours away to Iowa. And um, ultimately, I ended up getting hurt again early on, and it just it, it messed with me emotionally. The good news is the energy, the focus, the passion that I provide to football made school easy. It's just you know it's like addiction, right? Addiction you never outgrow addiction. You just transfer addiction. So if you if you're a smoker and you don't want to smoke, you become an eater. You know that's why that's why people that quit smoking gain weight. You know so you have to have something that you focus your mind on. And I end up getting into school, and school was pretty easy for me. I had a, I'm, I'm blessed with a good recall. And so that was the beginning of that regurgitation of information, right? You just read the stuff, and then when the test comes, you write what you just read. Like, I don't need this no more. Let it go. But uh, getting into a field where people could apply it to financial statistics and business calibrations was a godsend. And, uh, man, when, I lost, when that internship was over, I almost cried. Real, for real, almost cried. Like, I went home to my girl and was like, man, it's over. Like this, because <laughs> it was like my junior year, so it wasn't like I could go there, you know, immediately out of school type situation. But when I got finished with that, my next job was at State Farm headquarters because I went to school at Illinois State University in Bloomington, and that's where State Farm's headquarters. And so I got on there and did my State Farm thing, and then um, went from there to MediaCom Communications, which was the fifth largest communications company in the world at that point in time. It was or in the country, excuse me, and that's when we were doing uh, uh, T1 lines and you know, voice over IP and, and that type of communication stuff. And then that led me to Alltel Wireless and, and Atlanta and then Verizon and ATT, like, you know, just different companies that I've been able to be involved with in that scale. And every time I just show up to work, really. So that's another thing that's interesting about that. That's where that hard hat, killing for the OT mentality comes in, is when I moved to the South, me just showing up to work every day and doing what I was supposed to kept getting me promoted. Like it was, I wasn't doing anything special. I was just happy to be there and, and you know, do my job. And it meant something. And so I kind of took that and ran with it, you know. That's awesome, my man. That's awesome. So listen, I, I think this will be pretty safe. You ain't got to worry about getting hurt, you know, here, you know, on a, a Black Executive Perspective podcast, unless unless you cut your lip or, or something of that nature, right? And so I think you're good, though. So so tell us, though, you know, obviously you, you've, you've done a lot in your career, you know, growing up. <clears throat> And going to school in Illinois, now you're in Dallas. Uh, you know, tell us why you wanted to be a part of this this podcast. So I think that perspective is everything. I mean, I think in the title, the naming convention really caught me in the fact that everybody has a a series of perspectives on any given topic. And I think the value is when you can take a combination of those perspectives and add them to your own, because that's how we grow. That's how we expand our horizons. We need books, mentors teachers, things of that nature. You can't live it all on your own on a solitary existence. That would be horrible. And so what you provide here is that other side of the table, that other angle, whether it be regional, educational, uh, psychological, cultural, um, it provides something that maybe you didn't think of or you didn't see. It's that aha moment for those who want it. Now, as you know, there's a great, a great quote that says, for those who believe no explanation is required, and for those who do not, no explanation will do. So you have some people that are so dogmatic in how they see things, you can't move the needle at all. But the fact is, for those who want it, you're providing a platform for them to get some of this game. And I think that that's very important. And if it's an opportunity for me to at least give something from the little 
piece of life that I've seen thus far, then I want to get the opportunity to do that and kind of see what happens there. And of course, your people will be able to tell you, hey, get that dude off of here. He's trash. Or man, he said something that made me think about something, you know, and uh, I like to hear more of that. So we'll see how it goes. All right, buddy. Well, I'm expecting nothing but good things. And and you make a great a great point, right? I learned this a long time ago. The mind is like an umbrella. It only works when it's open, right? So hopefully people who come and listen to a black executive perspective or watch us on YouTube, you know, they have an open mind. So more importantly, welcome my friend. I'm definitely, I've learned a lot from you. And, and just to, you know, to be transparent, Chris and I, you know, worked at the same company for a while. He used to come to my conversation on race uh, sessions every week. And he was somebody that provided a, a great perspective. And I, like I said earlier, I really learned a lot from him a ton, and a lot of other people did as well. So I'm excited that he's going to be here and I'm pretty sure you'll see the value with him as well. However, before we start this conversation, one of the things, like we're getting a lot of great feedback. Everybody, Tony, we love the podcast. I'm learning stuff. You're educating us. You know, I love what the things that you guys are talking about. I love the guests that you're bringing. That is awesome. And we're going to continue to do that, right? The thing that we need you to do, if you haven't done thus far, please subscribe to our podcast, right? You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, right? Easy way to do it is www.deppodcast.com. Click on that link. You will be able to see all of our episodes. Go to the right. You'll see the follow button. Click on that button. It'll take you to Apple or Spotify, and you can subscribe. Subscribe. It'll help us reach more individuals and give us a rating and review. Again, we're as good as you tell us we are, right? So we need to get the feedback from you in terms of what are we providing? Are we providing the right thing? Are we missing some stuff? Are you interested to come on? Because to be fair, this is going to be the people's platform. Excuse me. This is the people's platform. So we would love to have other people come on and share. And this is how we all learn. So again, subscribe, give us a review and share. All right, Chris, you ready to have this conversation, buddy? Absolutely, sir. All right, let's talk about it. So if many of you who have listened to our second episode, me, Tony Tibbet and friends, why is there a glass ceiling? Uh, we discuss. We were looking at some research from a company called Coke. Well, let me see if I have them right here. So I'm going to share, and you can be able to go to their website and be able to download this information that we're going to share with you today, right? And, and so we're going to talk a little bit about the findings that they got from this research. So real quickly, just so everybody's on the same page, let me know who, tell you who Coke is. It says, we are champions of equity researchers of culture and creators of community who empower companies to create diverse and inclusive workforces where every person belongs. Coco is a global nonprofit think tank and advisory group that was founded in 2004 to address bias and uncover barriers to advancement for unrepresented populations in the workplace. We produce research that is unique in depth, breadth and rigor tackling urgent workplace issues related to gender, race, ethnicity, disability, and LGBTQ identities. We offer concrete and actionable solutions. Our unique community, the COCO Task Force, is made up of more than 100 member companies. These executives and practitioners are leaders in the diversity and inclusion movement. 
We provide them with the latest findings, events, educational opportunities, inspiration, and mutual, mutual connection. Our COCO Advisory Group provides consulting services that include culture audits, sponsorship programs, anti-racism initiatives, and leadership development programs to help companies accelerate equity from the workplaces to the world. Okay, so as you can see, and here's some of the sponsors of COCO, some of the companies we have Interpublic Group, Johnson & Johnson, KPMG, Morgan Stanley, Pfizer, Unilever, and the Walt Disney Company. So we're going to go over some of their findings uh, in this, like I said, in their research, which is saying being black in corporate America. And at the same time, we're going to talk about why is there still a glass ceiling in 2023? You excited about that, my friend? Absolutely. Man, man itching. Okay, Trust cool. <laughs> so, so, you know, one of the things we want to discuss right off the bat, like what are their findings? What are some of the things that just from a summary standpoint they found out? So one of the things that was in their report was that there's actually been a, a slowdown or, or a ground lost as it relates to the black initiative or the black uh, opportunities, when things started to become more uh, homogenated, like uh, people of color, because then it was not just one door for black folks. It became uh, one door that anybody that had any kind of shade to them was able to get into. And obviously that creates a bottleneck, right? As it's like, think about a uh, black Friday, right? Pun intended. Um, everybody's trying to go through two doors at Walmart and you got 2000 people, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't built for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's one of them kind of situations where, uh, you know, they looked at the CEOs and your Fortune 500 CEOs, 0.8%, you know, executives, 3.2%. Um, these things come up and it, it's a glaring, when you put it to the numbers, men lie, women lie, numbers don't, right? When you put it to the numbers, it's obviously not representative of how black people exist in the, in the United States as far as a percentage of the population. Um, interestingly enough, it's not also how black people exist as it relates to the employment diaspora. You know, when you get down to the bottom, those numbers go up exponentially. But, you know, at the top, you get that little point, man. And uh, it's just interesting because that's perspective, that's opportunity, um, that's really getting what you put in from an education perspective, life perspective. And I think one of the things that they pulled out was that, and it's not for lack of desire. It's not for lack of ambition. It's not for lack of want. It's for lack of opportunity. Yeah. So, and I love what you, so I just got back up for a second. So number one, the the black Friday thing, um, you know, uh, 2000 people trying to go through two doors. I, 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 that, that's a good one. So you, as you can see, he definitely brings a different perspective. <laughs> I love right. it, right? The other thing, though, I, I, I struggle with, because I don't know what diaspora means. So, I mean, is that, did I say it right? Is it diaspora? Yes, di di I mean, what is it? Well, so, so we say diaspora. I'm not going to Stephen A. you on this thing, y'all. Don't worry. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a makeup from a, a demographic representation of who's there. So, you know, one of the things is people think that, that we are all the same and we're not. Uh, this is how uh, the criminalization of black folks become uh, prolific. This is how the Mexican hardworking, you know, stereotype uh, perpetuates is you can't take, you know, uh, philosophy says don't take generals into specifics or specifics into generals. A lot of people who conveniently like to generalize things, if you show pictures or and this studies that have been done, Tony, you've seen them, you've experimented and showed them. 
you show a picture of somebody and they look like this, they must have this job. And if they look like that, they must have that job. And that type of bias, that innate, you know, understanding of comfort as it relates to who should sit where and get what benefit is a issue that is, is difficult. And this creates that glass ceiling. It creates those opportunity barriers that, that exist. exist. Buddy, totally agree. And, you know, and that's the issue. So if, 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 if you guys remember back when we were chatting in our second episode and Les and I were talking a little bit about the findings and, 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 and Chris spoke more from a summary standpoint, but let me give you a little bit from a number standpoint, right? So uh, representing a black adult in the U S at fortune 500 CEOs, the number is 0.8% of fortune 500 black CEOs, just to be clear here. All right. And when we say 0.8%, we're talking eight individuals. Okay. And it is less than that. And we'll get into that now. This was when this was done a couple of years ago. And to be honest, it's less than that now. Right now, if we think about that, there have been, I think the fortune 500 started in the 1950s. There have been 1900 CEOs at fortune 500 companies. There have been a total, and I and I, I got to look at my research, but I believe a total of 12 black CEOs, okay? Now, in 1964 is when affirmative, affirmative action was created, and it was created to make it a more even playing field to get more minorities um, um, in corporate America, in uh, uh, not just corporate America, but also from a business standpoint, whatever the case may be. Now, and then if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, I think it was 1963, 62, we can look it up. And then a year later, they added women to the uh, 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 affirmative action. Okay? Now, Here's the kicker. And this is where Les and I got into it a little bit because she was saying, hey, you know, as a, when we were fighting for civil rights, we we're fighting for everybody. I'm not disagreeing with that. Right. However, who's benefited from the civil rights legislation and let's just say affirmative action. OK, so there were zero black CEOs at Fortune 500 companies in 1964. I don't want to. And I may be around. I don't think there were any women either. Okay? I'm pretty, we can look it up. You can look it up online. Tech, e, you know, email us. Tony, you were wrong, but I, I don't think so. Now, there are 44 women CEOs at Fortune 500 com companies. Okay? And, and to be fair, they, they, you know, that could even be disparaging, right? Should they, you know, that's still 456 that are males, right? So that's not, I mean, it's, it ain't nothing to, 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 to jump up and down for, right? There's still an issue there. However, think about it for a second. It's only six CEOs now that are black. And to be fair, there were only two women black CEOs in the Fortune 500 company. And one just left about a year ago. So that was only one, Okay. Out of 1,900 CEOs from 1950-something when they started, when they came up with the Fortune 500. So think about that for a second, all right? Just, just, just marinate on that. 
And we're going to dive in deeper and provide more research. But this is what Coco is saying, Coco is saying, right? When we look at executive C, and, and that's, I'll be honest with you, that's abominable. Because at the end of the day, to say that there are not enough African-Americans, male and female, that could not run a Fortune 500 country is asinine, okay? That, that makes no sense, okay? However, let's keep moving. Executive senior level officials or managers, 3.2% that are African-American. Professionals, that's 8%. And then college degree holders is 10%, okay? So now, some people could say, well, wait a minute, Tony. You know, at the end of the day, you know what? Every 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 uh, 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 a position there has to be black people. There has to be this. There has to be that. You know what? No, right? No. The population of African Americans here in the United States, depending what 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 census you 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 read, is 13 percent. Okay. So in the day, nobody's saying it should be fifty percent. It should be at least 10, 12, 13% based on the population. When you have 0.8%, guess what? That legislation that was put out from an affirmative action standpoint, it, it didn't work. And people were trying to destroy it from day one. And if you look at the numbers, it really didn't work. So, and I'll challenge you in saying that it didn't work for us <laughs> because if you look at the legal statistics, more lawsuits were filed by uh, white women to get opportunities to get foots in the door than anything else. And a lot of that success is going to be because you have a white man at home to back you up, to go to the country club and say, hey, my wife should be on this board or doing this thing or that thing. And so it became a coalition type movement. Because you, you don't want to have to go home as a married person. I don't want that smoke either. So anything that she wants, I'm going to try to grease the wheels and get it figured out. And it helped move the needle for them to hit this 44 because they just didn't want these problems at home, to be honest with you. But that feminism, that liberalism, that really helped move it. And they piggybacked on affirmative action. So even the sentiment may have been, we thought it was for us or we thought we could benefit from it based on how it was sold. But it absolutely did generate a needle move. For women now, from a, a fine a wages perspective and all that, they still got some making up to do. But the fact is, it what happened for them, we thought, would be the same residue that would happen for us. And for whatever reason, uh, that wasn't the case. We were wrong. But it, you know, <laughs> that's what it was. So let me push back a little bit on just, and I know what you're saying, but let me just push back a little. The 44 seat women that became CEOs, they didn't need their husband. To, to vouch for them, okay? They they were talented enough. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> right, they were talented allegedly. enough to do it on their own. And we don't even know if they're married or not, okay? Right, right, so right. let's just be fair right. here, right? right. Those right. women who became the leaders of those organizations deserved it. They were, they showed what they could do. They worked their butt off. They faced all different type of, you know, gender discrimination on the way up. And they're probably still dealing with stuff. So we I, I, I want to give them their due, right? Definitely want to give them their due. Your point, though, the way I hear it, is more having an advocate that, right, a sponsorship that is somebody that looks like you. May not be a woman, 
right? But there was males that said she could do the job. There were people that stood behind them 100% and sponsored them all the way up the ladder, right? And rightfully so, because if they didn't have that, they wouldn't have been able to make it, right? So that makes total sense. You need to have sponsorship. You need to have, you know, uh, people that advocate. And when we say advocate, not somebody say, yeah, I think she, she or he would be good. Somebody that really stands and has your back, 100%, and not just saying that you'd be good, but they're, they have, they're invested in your success because they know when you become successful, wherever entity that you end up working at, that entity will become successful. So that's a, that's a big thing. That's a huge thing. And without ha- we're going to hear a little bit about that too later on, but I, without having that, it makes it tough. Absolutely. But the, but, you know, and it's, I think it's easy as low-hanging fruit to blame the system. But when you think about, you know, like we always say, follow the money, right? So the economic push. Think about some of the strides we made, even from a civil perspective, from a rights perspective, legalities. It was due to economic boycotts. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves, right? It was due to when we started affecting the money. Then they said, okay, let's listen and give them a little of this. Give them crumbs here and there. And that was that. It's not like that in the corporate dynamic of it. Because if you think about it, uh, the CWA, the Communi- Communications Workers of America, did a study recently. 126 Apple's highest job, Apple, the big company, Apple, successful company, Apple. 126 of their highest jobs, 78% are white. 78% of those holding that job are white. Microsoft from GeekWire, 4% black of the highest jobs, 4%. Um, Amazon, 5% from Global Data. So here's the situation. What is my financial advantage for having that diversity, for having that representation? It appears that the most successful companies, that's just three companies. I understand that. Don't kill me on the numbers in that regard. But there is no de-incentivization of those people not to have black representation or women representation or whatever, because they still get that bread as constructed. And so it is hard to convince someone who's living high off the hog to move to another farm. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I can't, do you stew me on the last, the last phrase though, bro. So oh, I, I, I'm, I'm from Illinois. Illinois. I told you. <laughs> I, I, get, I, 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 gotta I, be I don't me. even know how to respond, <laughs> but you know, it's okay. It's okay. So, so here's the thing though. So I'm not disagreeing with you in terms of um, people in looking in their own, when look at the end of the day, when, when we, you know, wherever we worked at and a position opened up, what's the first thing that happens? When, when, when a position opens up, they usually say, who do you know? Right. They, they go to people and ask them to look into their network in terms of people that they know that would be a good fit. Nine times out of 10 people, most people think that when you send them, put an application in through the front door, eventually you get, no, nine times out of 10, that don't happen. (laughs) All right. They start with the employees first. So that's no different on that level. They basically, so if you don't know anybody of color, if there's nobody in your network, you ain't rep, you ain't going to recommend nobody. Right. That's just the bottom. That's the first thing. That is, that's the bottom line. So if you're, you don't have a diverse set of friends or a diverse set of professionals that you work with, and then a position opens up, right? And then to your point, now taking your point to the next level, if only 4% of people at the company are of color 
and or or 76% of the people at the senior uh, high paying jobs at the senior level are white and guess what they say hey we just got this new CEO, COO position or we need somebody that's going to be a controller or we going to need this who do you know they don't know a bunch of other uh, diverse individuals so they're going to keep that cycle of people uh that look like them coming through the door does that make sense it does it does the, the issue with that though is it takes a brave person. The one thing I know, the one thing I've experienced, even at all these companies I've been in, if I see a person of color in a high-level position, it's because of attrition. Like, they fought a war of attrition. They've survived. They get my respect off top because they've survived so many people trying to get them out the paint. You know what I mean? They've survived and made it there. And I get them folks a salute and a conversation if I can. You know, so I'll pay for lunches and everything just to gleam. How did you, how did you make it through the gauntlet? <laughs> Real talk, because the, the fact is this, when you get to those positions, especially where we're from, you know, I'm from a city, you from Detroit, right, exactly. you know what I mean? Right. So a lot of it is, man, I remember we used to, we used to go to uh, Missouri down south when I was a kid, and I used to always get teased because I talked like TV, right? Like they had they little slangs, colloquialisms, this, that, and I spoke like I spoke. You talk like TV, because that's how Walter Cronkite and right. Craig Coppola and them, right, right. you know, I spoke like them. But the fact is... You have to create a sense of comfort in order to be in those circles. You got to go to church with these folks and go to the golf club with these folks. And you got to go out of your element. Even through the educational process, you have to go out of to a PWI. You have to go out of your element for them to even get exposed to you in that regard. So these people have had to leave a little bit of themselves behind in order to make it to that upper echelon, that next level. I won't call it upper echelon because it's no better. But in order for you to get to that, that position where they see you, they got, and we like to call it, me and my fellas, see them, they like to see you in shorts, right? They're like, go to, you got to go to the pool parties and all this other stuff so they feel like they know you as a person. But, you know, it's, it's a, a great distinction between that and parading um, and, and giving up kind of who you are culturally because you can't take what we do where we from there. That don't, that, like they say in Texas, that dog don't hunt. And, and so you, you are making a, you, you're mitigating some type of, aspirational goal for loss of some self and it's a good thing and it's required for the next generation that that's the thing about sure. this journey right right go ahead and, and look you're a hundred percent right um in terms of you know um them losing or more importantly like you were saying the stuff that they have to go through right yep. and so what we're going to do because I was going to go somewhere else, but let, let's just, let's, let's keep, because you got me dying laughing. So one of the things, though, is this. I just want to break misnomers, misconceptions, um, and stereotypes. So one of the things here in Coquo, one of the things that, um, you know, and, I, and going back to what you said when you were saying one of the reasons why you you wanted to come here and, 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 and be part of Tony Tidbit and Friends on a Black Executive Perspective is that, you know, you want to share perspectives, you want, you know, and try to reach people that have an open mind, right? So one of the things, though, that I've heard, you've probably heard, is that black people or people of color are not ambitious, okay? They're, you know, you, you, you they get tired, you, you put them under a shade tree, <laughs> throw them an apple, and they'll be good, right? Well, and we, we all know that that's BS, right? But don't go by our what we think. Let me tell you what Coco talked about here. It says black professionals aren't letting the stopping the short of the C-suite stop them from a lack of desire. We find that black 
professionals are more likely than their white counterparts to be ambitious in their careers and to aspire to a top job, right? So people are not coming in and, and, you know, oh, I got a nice position. I'm good. I'm just going to sit here and chill. No, they're willing. They're willing to do and put in the work and they're ambitious. They come, they're coming in inspiring, inspiring, aspiring, I should say, aspiring to be at a top level. Okay. They got their, they go get their master's degree. Some of them have PhDs. They go to business school. They're not doing that because they got nothing else to do. To your point, backing up, they know the higher they move up in corporate America, the more they're going to be lonely and they're going to have to give up part of their, you know, I, I don't want to say identity, but back to your point, they're going to have to, you know, they're not going to be in a comfortable situation. They're going to be hanging on going out to parties or being boardrooms with the majority of people that look like, don't look like them and they're willing to do it. Okay. So at the end of the day, this has nothing to do with lack of ambition. It has nothing to do with lack of education. It has nothing to do with lack of intellect or lack of desire. It has to do that there's a ceiling that is put on them. Okay. And at the end of the day, this ceiling stops them in, 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 in 2023 from moving further up the corporate ladder, even though they're highly qualified, highly intellect, understand business practices, represents a diversity group of individuals here in the United States, can provide more diverse thought in terms of how to reach people, business mechanisms to hold nine yards. They just don't get the opportunity. Let me give you something that was given to me uh, gracefully. I had a, a guy, he was high up in the company, a brother that uh, was a mentor. And one of his advice to me was gain more mentors and things of that nature. And he put me on, once again, sponsorship, right? He put me on from a mentoring perspective with a white executive. And me and him got cool enough to where he was candid enough with me to say, one of the things that he's talked about or heard about in his circle was the fact that Black executives can create a sense of um, not inferior intimidation because what you do know about us is if we sitting in one of them seats, we done did the damn thing. Like there is no body that's cousin or nobody, no nepotism, no nothing. We absolutely checked off all the, if I'm the president, I had perfect attendance. I went to Harvard law. I did this and that. There's no scandals on my name. I didn't have a parking ticket. We got to be so great to get the same thing, but when we get in there, even at junior levels, right, the C-suite levels, C-suite levels, it becomes intimidating to people who didn't measure up or didn't have A's in school and this and that, and when you start to articulate and show that, because you're doing it as an audition to show you can do more, be better, be higher up the rung, right? But what happens is the emotion of the people that are around you tend to see, wait a second, he's or she's embarrassing us <laughs> she's running circles around us the only fairness meritocracy that exists is in sports because if i can shoot i can shoot i don't care what color if i run fast i run fast it doesn't matter what color but it's not a situation where and i talk to africans people from africa about this they are so disillusioned with corporate america because i had better test scores than this guy i was magna cum this i was whatever whatever and even when we get in here and talk about the job this dude is dumb as hell why is he ahead of me? Why is he? And they can't rationalize how it's not a meritocracy. It's a, it's a political, you know, ecosystem. And 
Those are the reasons why when it's subjective like that, well, you don't have to take a test to be the CEO or take a test to be the COO. It's always going to be difficult for us because then they could just move the goalposts or create new rules. There's not a prescription to say, Tony, if you did this job, this job, this job, this job, you would end up here. Right. No way. It never happens. And every time we start gaining ground, uh, let's just move the goalposts. Right. Now I just spent two years on a on a sabbatical doing something that you said was required. And that ain't even I got a Six Sigma, you know, certification. And now we don't even do Six Sigma here no more. Right. right. You know what I mean? Well, so it's that kind of stuff too. Yeah, it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, if they wanna, if they see the value in you, they would promote you, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the I, I wanna I wanna give you the antithesis because there's some people believe that black people but people of color only got promotions because they're black. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because some quotas needs to be filled and they eliminate all the, the accolades, all the achievement that they did to get those positions. All right. Because at the end of the day, they only got it because they were black. I, 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 I gotta tell you the story. Sir. So when, 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 when Denzel Washington won the, um, Academy Award when he did uh what was it uh training what was it day. Training, training day, day. right and, yes, and 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 my boy and and, and and look I like Denzel but uh what's his yeah. name was up for too uh what's his name he was Gladiator um Russell Crowe Russell Crowe right great actor right Russell wins I mean Denzel wins first thing he got it because he was black right not that he a great actor not none of that <laughs> it doesn't even matter it all I mean that's the go to. Okay, that's the so to your point, when you see somebody that's up a higher level, you're right. They didn't do nothing. They they checked every box. They worked hard, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the outside world says, nah, they didn't do nothing. They got it because they were black. And here's the kicker. Coco says this, right? While nearly two thirds of black professionals agree they have to work harder than their white colleagues to advance in their careers. Very few white professionals see it that way. Most white professionals just aren't educated about or aware of this reality. So they don't see that this person jumped through a million hoops. They got to go through here, this and that, the stress, the whole nine yards. They're working their butt off. But when they get promoted, nah, she didn't do nothing. (laughs) She got the promotion because she was black, right? And that is real. And we got to break that. Because at the end of the day, when my white friends get promoted, I don't hear nobody saying, oh, he got a job because he was white. Yeah. All right? You don't hear that. She got the job because she was white. You don't hear that. Right? So it's always about they were really smart. All right? I'm going to tell you why he got that job. He was smart. <laughs> All right? oh, if I got a nickel for every time I heard somebody say somebody got promoted because they were smart, and then six months later they fizzled out, <laughs> I would be a rich man. Right. Oh, my gosh. But 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 how do we graduate from accepting the black tax? You and I both have been conditioned in corporate America to understand we have to do twice as much to get to the same destination. It's the black tax. And we I was kind of raised with it, even in a in a non scholarly perspective. If you want something, you got to be willing to give it all and sacrifice it all and have bad marriages and not be around your kids and kill them for the old, like all these things. It was the black tax and the idea of we have to do more in order to just get a little bit. It's, it's almost like the three fourths type situation or, you know, um, from, from the voting perspective. And we kind of inherited that mentality that we have to do more just to get to the same level. And unfortunately I, the, the, the people I know that are in certain roles, they just have absorbed it and accepted it. 
Like, I know I have to this and that just to whatever. Whereas, you know, white folks, I want to see your badge number. I want to talk to somebody. You get a lot of care and action going on when they feel that this is not justified. They want to talk to someone. They want to see a manager. We just don't want no problems. You know what I'm saying? We just don't want to lose this job. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Here's the kicker. So we talked about earlier how there were eight black CEOs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we said two of them were women. Mm-hmm. We talked about in the just last few minutes, all the things you brought it up, all the things that that individual to make it to that level, what they have to go through. Right now we're sitting here, we're giving our opinions. Okay. Which that's what we do. However, we're going to play a clip. Rosalind, who used to be the CEO of, of Walgreens. Okay. And she was the second uh, woman to become a CEO at a fortune 500 company. Second black woman. Second black women, right? Black woman. So now look, let's be clear here, right? Before we play this clip. Okay. Now let's paint the picture. She worked her way up. She finally got to the pinnacle and, and, and trust me, she had a bunch of other, and we'll give her background after we play the clip, mm-hmm. right? Typically she made it to that level. She could say, Guess what? If I made it, anybody can make it. Blah, 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 blah. Double A, let's hear what she says. This is a clip from Rosalind Brewer, CEO of Walgreens. Is it more disappointing or surprising that of all the uh, CEOs in the Fortune 500, there are only two female African-American CEOs? Only two. Right. You and the CEO of, uh, of, of um Teachers is the only other one, I think. Yes, TIA. And so mm-hmm. are you surprised that at this late date in our history, we only have two or yeah. disappointed? Well, um, I'm more disappointed than I am surprised. Um, I'm not surprised because I know what it took for me to get here. And I know the trials and tribulations that I've been through. And, um, you know, I'm not quite sure uh, a lot of people would want to withstand that. But I would tell you that the disappointing part is that um, this is just is is totally ridiculous that there's only two of us. Um, I think you know it's going to go beyond mentoring and sponsoring. It's it's um, pipeline, you know, filling the pipeline effectively, getting um, people of um, different races in operating roles, um, and having the confidence that you know that they can do it because they absolutely can. So there you go. So so number one, let's let's let's, let's break that down a little bit, okay? First thing she said is what you were talking about, what she had to go through to get to that level. Okay. The bottom line is she was appalled that it's only two of us. This is re this is now think of, this is my point here. Here's somebody she could easily say, well, if I got there, <laughs> anybody can get there. Right. That's what you hear. Well, this per and back to that meritocracy thing, right? Well, guess what? If, if, if the reason they're not there, they ain't qualified. That ain't true. <laughs> it's not true, right? She's saying, I had to jump through a million hoops, and I did everything I needed to do. And there's a ton of other people who've done the same thing, and it's only two of us. Now it's only one. Roz Brewer became the CEO of Walgreens in March at 2020. In March of 2021. At the time, she was the only third black woman head of a head Fortune 500 company on a non-interim basis. So there was another one, but it was for like three, four months, six months. 
right? However, Brewer is no longer the top executive. She left. <laughs> okay? Think about that. She left. She was there for like three years. Okay? She also, and just background, she basically ran several other companies. Companies. She's on multiple boards. Okay? The other black woman that's on, a, that's a, a, a Fortune 500 CEO is Lathanja Brown Duckett, who's leading TIA Craft, which they kind of reference there, right? And here's the kicker. This is out of Forbes. Forbes says, the recent ousting of Brewer confirms our research findings that women of, of color face higher expectations when it comes to performance and steeper cliffs when analysts and the media judge their missteps. Okay? And this is Alexis Smith Washington, uh, uh, who uh, basically chairs the Oklahoma State University Business School. Much of the success in these roles rely on maintaining the trust of these stakeholders. Black women are too often seen as risky bets by those who make the calls on leaders. There is simply less room for error when black women are at the helm. So this is back to that meritocracy, that subjectivism. The scrutiny is so much higher because of the tax. The tax is higher. The black tax is higher. The scrutiny is higher. She was, and another thing, you have to think about this. Not sure you've seen it in your career. I've seen it in mine. Uh, why aren't you satisfied? Why aren't you? It's, you're dictating my ambition, right? Because you're saying she was at Starbucks and she was she was the chick there. And basically the, the conventional the conventional thought amongst others is that's good enough. Man, be be cool. You know what I'm saying? Stand down. And when you when you have that ambition, you have that drive, and you want more for yourself, for your family, for your legacy, for your lineage, you are are over ambitious. You want too much. You're you're you know, you kicking you out kicking your coverage, right? And so that 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 type of mentality is also something that affects us in the fact that you are already the best, the, the richest. You're already in my neighborhood. You're already whatever, whatever you're catching up. You're already past my kid or past my brother. And so therefore, you need to kind of calm down before you pass me. And that type of insecurity is why this thing perpetuates that that glass ceiling is based off a lot of psychological insecurity It's not economic. Because once again, we can do it. But the problem is, if you if you did a, a financial accounting or forensic perspective on all CEOs, there's been numerous missteps. I was under one at AT&T that just kept making missteps and kept his job and kept getting bonuses because he was allowed the latitude to cook. Exactly. And you, and you in the kitchen checking every recipe when, when, a, when a black person get in. Like, what's in that? Let me taste that. Let me t like, man, let me let me cook. <laughs> You do not get second chance. You have to be perfect, right? And Walgreens, you know, Walgreens said, hey, we're going in a different direction. We're focusing more on healthcare side of the business. Our board and leadership team will intensify our focus, blah, 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 blah. It says that CNBC says Walgreens shares are down more than 32%, which is partly attributed to declines in customer demands for COVID tests and vaccines. If you want to keep to your point, if you want to keep somebody or you, to your point, you want to give them latitude to... Things were going great. Now it took a downturn. Let's give this person a chance to get us out of this situation, right? There's none of that, right? And look, we both, we, we haven't been CEOs, but we both experienced this in our careers, right? Where you have a fear. If I mess up, that's it, okay? Now, 
Let's hear what Rosalind says, because double A, she has a, a he asked her a great question, a good follow-up question. So let's hear what she how she answers this question. In your career, what has been a bigger problem, being a female or being African American or neither? You know, I would have to say being African American. Um, I think that um, it is still, you know, a an issue in our environment to accept people of different races more so than it is gender. Um, I've, I think I've seen a lot of progress with women in, in corporate America, and I'd like to see more progress with people of color. Flat out, right? She could have easily said, hey, listen, you know, being, she could have said, hey, being a black woman is really, you know, blah, 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 or, you know, this and that. Flat out, being African-American, right? And this is somebody who, who went through, who went all the way up to the pinnacle of success and being a CEO of Walgreens. And she's saying flat out, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, when it comes to people of color, there's issues, right? Now, is women all squared away right now? No. You spoke a little bit about earlier, there's still pay inequities. There's still things that women deal with. However, from a gender versus a color thing, it's a lot different. Absolutely. And it's... And, I think that if you even look at when you guys listen to this, I would I would advise you to rewind it, listen again to the tone. You can see in her tone how disappointed she was in that second question. First question, she was ready for that, like whatever. But but I think reflectively, she was thinking it back and, and thinking, man, you know, it's sad. And she had said, you know, point blank, it's sad and it's, it's uh, ridiculous. But the tone was that. It's so disappointing that that's the case, and it's due to lack of opportunity. The difference between a star and a superstar is opportunities. There's players in, in the NBA that could shoot that thing, but the, the plays no ain't drawn for them. It ain't no shots, right? So they know when I shoot, I got to go 80%. <laughs> so, so you got volume. You know, they get the opportunity to be volume shooters. And it's not even in the ascension to the pinnacle of, of the organization. It's in the path. We get a lot of barriers in the path, in the opportunities, in the uh, av advertisement of, of positions in the programs, in the, you know, um, even assignment of mentors and things that enter, we got to go get it. Right. We, we always have to go get it. It's not going to be, if we think that we're going to get the same doors and opportunities and, and bells and whistles, shame on us. And, and we believe that about ourselves and folks believe that about us. If we didn't get it, it's because we didn't try hard enough. Let's give you another clip, right, from Melody Hobson, right? And Melody Hobson is the co-CEO and president of Arrow Investments, a Chicago-based firm with over $16 billion in assets. She also sits on the boards of Starbucks, J.P. Morgan Chase, and was chairwoman of DreamWorks board until it was sold to Comcast, all right? So let's hear what Melody, what Melody says about this, these issues. Well, you know, in those examples that you said, in those days, it was very rare to have a CEO talk up on this subject at all. And now, as you know, we're hearing from so many CEOs saying that they do want to make their workforces more diverse. They do want to do a better job at that. How can they really make that happen? What do they have to do to move the needle? Well, first of all, I think it's corporate America's turn. So just so you know, I think that we solved some of these issues around uh, politics and policy in the 60s with laws and, and the like. But now this is really has has become a conversation that is essential inside of corporate America 
because it's a, it's essential to corporate America's success or failure. I've been very open in saying if you are not a diverse company, you're not a 21st century company, and ultimately you are committing corporate suicide. It's a, not a question of if you will die, it's when. Now, it could take a long time. But if you don't have diverse people in your organization over time, that is going to be a major, major problem. So she's just flat out and she's 100 percent correct. Right. We all know that, you know, depending on who you read in the next 20, 30 years, there's going to be more people of color in the United States and it will be white people. Right. The majority of people uh, will be a people of color. Um, and at the end of the day, but even from that standpoint, it, there's so much intellect, talent that's being left out when you don't have a diverse organization. Oh, it, it was that, like you said, like the name of convention of this, you know, podcast itself. It's that perspective that's valuable. It's very valuable. So it, it's a shame that that we don't have that. First of all, also shout out to Starbucks. I don't even drink coffee, but I'm going to get a gift card for some lemon loaf because Rosalind was at Starbucks and, and Melanie was at Starbucks, and, and Magic has some Starbucks going on. Like they they fool with us, man. We might want to you know look at. But that. to be fair though, to that point, there are companies. So so we're sitting here talking from a broad brush. But there are companies that really take this seriously and have done a tremendous job in terms of making sure that their workforce was not just diverse on the lower levels, but was diverse on the senior levels. And they have a serious commitment to that. Right. They're not just throwing, you know, a uh, 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 verbiage at it. So, you know, you know, I think Chris Rock even said, this, you go to Lululemon, you see on the on, on the on a window outside. We are a diverse organization and we don't care this and that. And so what <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Right? right. At the end of the day is what are you doing internally in terms of diversifying your organization, but also making sure that you have diverse thought, diverse ideas all the things that will help you, to her point, be able to be a successful organization in the 21st century. And, and, she's, and she's right. And, and, and people might, that ain't going to never happen. They would never die. Yeah, they would. Because at the end of the day, if everybody's going this way and you're staying here, and I've been in some industries where, you know, they were slow to change, okay? And the audience, you know, we're in, I'm in advertising, and the audience moved over here. They ain't reading newspapers no more. They're getting their news online. And the newspaper industry is saying, ah, that's a fad. Guess what? The audience left. The money went with them. And now that industry who used to be like this is like that, all right? So you can make a huge mistake and don't pivot and don't follow what's happening from a business standpoint in terms of your customers, your audience, and the whole nine yards, and miscalculate. And it can may, it can definitely affect you, okay? So, so, but she's right on point. How there's a ton of research out there in terms of showing from a business standpoint that by having a diverse uh, organization uh, helps the bottom line, right? So, so I, I'm pretty sure if you didn't see that, you want to go back and, 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 and record it and, and listen to it, uh, but it'll definitely provide that, that insight. So, so let's get back to Melanie because she's got some solutions in terms of what she believes companies can do. Um, in terms of being able to, to, to meet this challenge in the 21st century. What do you say to those CEOs and business leaders of what they have to do to bring about real change? What would you like them to see, the, the key one or two things? 
there are three things. So we talk about the three P's at our Black Corporate Directors Conference, where we bring together corporate directors from Fortune 500 companies who are Black as well as Latinx. And we say to them, we want to make sure the civil rights agenda is also in the boardroom, because we think that is a part of your fiduciary duty and ultimately leads to the enhancement of shareholder value. So there are three P's, people. First and foremost, if it matters, it counts, start counting. And what I say to people over and over again, math has no opinion. You can be very emotional about this if you have data. And so the data should be start from the top of the organization, the board level, all the way down to all levels of the organization count by ethnicity. No multicultural umbrella with everyone under one heading of race and gender count by Black, Latinx, Asian, et cetera, to see where you're over or underrepresented. So that, that makes total sense, right? Break it up. Look exactly where you are. Don't just have white and other. Break it up in terms of all the different ethnicities. See exactly what that percentage looks like. And I love the thing when she says starts with people because that's basically what it comes down to. Absolutely. But you have to have companies that's willing to leave from the front and let you in to see the books. A lot of companies are not going to open the doors and allow for those type of, they have internal departments that can skew the numbers or make them look a certain way or whatever the case would be, or give you enough to keep them in a, in a good light without giving you, you know, the unabridged version. And so it's, it takes a, a brave leader and more often than not, it's somebody with a diverse mindset that's already on that path or somebody that is representing that diaspora right? <laughs> that can say, you know what, we do a good job and we're proud of ours here. So open the doors and let them in and let them, you know, pull these numbers. But I, I fear that it, it, it may be uh, hard pressed to get that without some type of uh, sanction or some type of uh, governmental scrutiny, you know, in order to get these government contracts or this or that, you got to have, and that's the thing with, with publicly traded companies, you, you know that somebody's watching so you're more likely to be a good actor. You know that there's government funding or subsidies or things like that that require a level of diversity and inclusion. And it's not quotas. It's just making sure that you're representing uh, the country as a whole to a great degree in your spending, in your everything, you know, your everyday practices. But if you don't have that scrutiny, if you're a privately owned company or it's a lot of companies that's big, that's not public. It's a lot of companies that's big where people get it. It's not just all, it's not only 500 companies out there, people. Don't think Fortune 500 is only, it's only 500 companies. It's thousands and thousands of companies. And so a lot of uh, the proof is going to be in the pudding, and a lot of people are not going to let you check the recipe. And, and if that's the case, then that it is what it is, right? Because at the end of the day, those companies, you know, they may from a short term be okay, right? But then they're going to struggle, right? Because at the end of the day, if and you said it, it's about leadership from the ground up. We just gave Starbucks, you know, you know, uh, applause uh, about, you know, wow, what do they got going on? Well, that that didn't just happen. That wasn't luck. That was leadership, right? And so, if you want to really do this, you're going to be transparent. So let's hear the second P. The next P is purchasing. Last century's idea was minority purchasing or procurement. Make sure that you have business diversity as well that as an organization, you're doing business with all kinds of people, all types of organizations. So look at your corporate spend by category. And we all know the biggest areas of corporate spend today are professional services, financial services, technology. How are you doing in those big areas of spend? Not last century spend, which were things like measuring uh, minority contributions and construction and things like that. 
It's not that that's not important. It's just two-thirds of our economy right now is a service economy. And we want to make sure that's captured. And, and look, that makes sense, right? Who are you spending money with, right? It's important to, to diversify, not just internally, but externally as well. Because at the end of the day, by doing that, you're going to broaden your horizons in terms of not just people in terms of in, in, in the company, but also people outside of the company that could lead to a lot of different things. Bringing in different diverse companies is going to provide a different type of level of service, different ideas, different talent, the whole nine yards, right? Which is going to help you become a lot better and grow whatever your business outcomes are. I was, it's funny, this is near and dear to my heart. I got awards on the wall for uh, uh, diversity purchasing, right? I was in the uh, uh, diversity magazine as one of the key purchasers, you know, for some years because I knew the value and not only uh, buying, but also mentoring and, and helping them evaluate how to deal with large companies, how to deal with large scale and, and uh, change their philosophy as it relates to even their employment dynamics, uh, to make sure that they could grow on certain paths. And I've had companies that I'm proud to say went from a million dollars a year to $2 billion a year based off of those small seeds of information. And they took it and ran with it. Didn't have anything to do with me. It was, they were hungry. They were ambitious and they were willing to do what it took to make it happen. They wanted to sit in and gleam and learn. Now, $2 billion is cool, uh, but, you know, to a company that's $30, $40 billion is crumbs, you know? And I think a lot of that has to happen more where you have a, not necessarily a threshold or some earmarked money that goes there, but just the opportunity to uh, not only engage with them by spending money with diverse companies, vendors, women-owned, MBWs, those type of things, but also having opportunities for them to see how it works behind the curtain and that education piece. So some things are financial for sure, but some things are teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime type situation, right? Right. Her excellent point. And then let's hear her final P. The last area, what I actually think is the least, and I don't mean this in that it's not important, but I don't think it fixes the ills of our society in the way that it should, is philanthropy, the third P. Lately, I think that's the tail wagging the dog. I think there are a bunch of companies that are making statements about philanthropy, feeling that it does give them some cover and fix some of the ills. However, you cannot fix your own house from without. You need to fix it from within. So while I encourage and want to see that, that philanthropy in the black community and in brown communities, I do hope that people understand that doesn't give them a pass for the, the issues that exist inside of their organization and where they have the immediate opportunity opportunity to affect change. I think this P is the one, and as she said, it's important, but it's, it's the least. This is the one that the majority of companies do. They throw money at something, right? And they're like, we, uh, we, you know, put money here. And so it shows that we're about diversity and, 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 and that's great. That's awesome. But that ain't do, that's not changing the landscape. Okay, and so to her point, yeah, you can still do that, but that's not going to get you to where you want to go. All right. That's not going to unlock, you know, the talent and opportunities uh, for a bunch of other people. That's going to help your organization take it to the next level. I agree. And what you specialize is, is, is the advertising space, the, the tail market. Right. So we think about show and tell. We got a lot of people to tell a lot of things and we don't have a lot of show going on. 
We don't have a lot of, you know, and this is the results of what I told you last year. Or this is the trajectory that we anticipate. And these are the goals that we set for ourselves and how we reach those goals. Not only because you're happy you reach those goals, but other people can gleam off of that path and duplicate that success. We just we just aren't doing a great job as a society of making sure that that's cascaded accordingly to the right people or holding people accountable. It's an accountability dynamic at this point. And so, as you said, uh, you have a certain uh, measure of the budget that's written off for uh, PR, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's ultimately what it becomes, you know, public relations. You know, you have a certain that's written off for PR. You put people in PR. Uh, uh, you know, you got the, the uh, dude on Blackish was the vice president of Urban, you know, whatever. You know, he was offended because... Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? So, so you know, those are the things that you got to be mindful of and cognizant. You hear it and you think, okay, they said they said something, they said black and they said do something. I'm good. But no, it's back to Starbucks again. It's back to those companies where you actually see it in action and then you see it in action again. It's not a hey, Rosalind was the CEO, so we can't be <laughs> we can't be charged anymore. We got a, a a lifetime pass. You know, America's not racist anymore because Barack Obama was president. Right, right, right. Done. You know, like that's not how this works. Yeah, I, and I think as we as we close out here, you know, a couple of things I want to leave, and I'd love to hear your thoughts as well because at the end of the day, we know there's a ton of people, white, that wanted want to expand. They want to diversify their organizations. Um. They're, you know, and I'm not gonna make any excuses for them. The thing is, is this, is that anything, if you, you know, I learned this a long time ago. All right. If you want to do it, nothing will stop you. If you don't, any excuse will do. Okay. So there's a way to do it. And look, you know, Tony Tidbit and, and Chris, you know, we, we're just providing some, some, some banter here, some awareness to the situation, right? And we're going to give you some thoughts. And you heard from, from, from Melody Hobson in terms of her three Ps. And then obviously you heard from Rosalind, who, you know, made it to being a Fortune 500 CEO as a black woman and still, you know, really just said, hey, this is unacceptable because there's a ton of people that can do this. So there's, there's and then obviously we went through the, the, the research with Coquel, right, that, hey, there, you know, you have black professionals that are very ambitious, they feel that there's a barrier that's going to affect them from moving up. They, they work twice as hard as their white counterparts, right? So, so, and then we didn't go into all the other things that they deal with. So, you know, from a solution standpoint, and I'd love to hear yours. I'm going to throw mine out here. Number one, it starts at the top, okay? Either you got two feet in cement, all right, which means you're 100% committed to diversifying your organization. Now, I know companies that are very diverse at a lower level standpoint, right? They're not diverse from a senior management standpoint. And it's the same thing. It's not hard to do. It's a commitment, okay? So to do that, expand your network, right? Obviously, there's people that, you know, and Chris, you and I talked about this before. There's people that's within your organization that is talented that you can nurture, right? But they need advocacy. They need allies. They need people that stands behind them. You know, I was chatting with a, a lady not too long ago, and I think you know her. 
And, uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll change the names to protect the innocent. But she told me, she's black and she's a VP, and she told me about how her boss, who was white, he had her back. He was her advocate. And he pushed and said, no, you're going to do. He first challenged her, right? And more importantly, he made a way for her to move up because he believed in her, right? And she didn't let him down. She was talented. So the only way that she was able to move up into this organization, huge organization, is that she had an advocate that was behind her, not just a good word, but that was 100% that also mentored her the whole nine yards, right? So that's what needs to happen because the talent is there. So you got to be committed. You have to be, have advocacy, uh, you know, advocate and allies, and you have to expand your networks. If you're going to a club and there's, if you, and I'm just, I'm just going to be frank here. If you're going to a club and there's all white people there. You're in the wrong club. Okay. That's not going to help you expand your network. Just like for my life being on this planet, and working not just in corporate America, but pretty much anywhere I've worked at, I've always been the minority. I was always uncomfortable wherever I went. It was part of the norm, okay? But I had to become comfortable. I became comfortable because I was the only one. Well, guess what, my white friends, brothers, and sisters? It's the same thing, right? The only way that you're going to build your networks in terms of having a, a diverse talent set of individuals you got to go places where those people are you have to be willing to be uncomfortable for that time frame and learn from new individuals right by doing that the value you're going to get the first value you're going to educate yourself right because now you're going to see like wow this is not as bad as i thought oh i didn't know i thought this and i thought that i learned a bunch of things right then number two you're going to create a network for your organization to bring on unique talent that you wouldn't have the ability to do, right? So those are my things in terms of what I think companies can do. The good companies are doing that, okay? And you probably heard that from Leslie Driss because she gave plenty of examples with her company, right? This is the thing. If there's a commitment, you're 100% behind it. And then my final thing is you train your managers to hire diverse people, right? You have to train them. You can't just say, we're out looking for people and, and, and there's no training behind it. Train, train them how to conduct an interview with a diverse group of individuals. It's different, right? It's totally different, but that's, you have to have that commitment to being able to do that. Chris? I think that it starts with the human resource departments at major companies. At smaller companies, it's a little easier to be nimble. But at major companies, you have to have your HR department going to uh, the National Association for Black Engineers conference and network there. You have to have that because then they identify the talent. The fact is this, in this crucible of success, we want what is best, especially from an HR perspective, your human resource perspective, you want to have the best candidate that you present because that's your job, period, point blank. And so you should be going out like a college scout scouting and scouring the landscape for who is best. And that's not always going to be Ivy League. That's not always going to be whatever the case may be. You got to meet them where they are. So you got to go to HBCUs to their career days and things like that. You have to be willing to put the work in up front. Now, at that point, like me and my experience, I got into a leadership development program, but it was 202 applicants. Six of us made it. I was more than willing to grind out and, and put mine against those other 202 and happen to win out. I don't think we're afraid. 
I don't think we're, you know, underestimated from an ambition perspective, but we need those platforms to say, hey, you have a responsibility to create a fast track program or a development program and you identify these folks and then you let them go in and do what it do. And you let them kind of figure it out at that point. A lot of companies don't have that uh, that platform, that mechanism in place. They just let the uh, suggested individual get the opportunity and see what happens. And as you stated, more often than not, people fizzle out. They hit the Peter principle, right? You get promoted to your level of incompetence. But then it's like, okay, well, let's try it again because I can't rationalize somebody like me not being able to do what I did 10 years ago. Instead of saying, hey, we have a, a opportunity here to put multiple people into a system and see what happens as far as what's best for the company. But that growth within internal, she made a comment about it being starting within. That's how you start within. You make sure that you have a mechanism in place that's tried and true, repeatable, and then you could tweak it to know what success looks like. But at that point, you know, hey, this person is here because, hey, he's been that guy or she's been that girl from when she first got into the programs or when she first got identified as a high potential individual. We absolutely have a lot of high potential black folks, white folks, brown folks, whatever the case may be. But that identifier makes it different because now you know they're looking. We sometimes don't even realize they're looking. We doing all kind of stuff, man. I'm, I'm getting all this. I'm doing all that. All of my reviews is highest. But what does it mean? What is it? Nothing equals anything in a subjective company. You can do whatever. You can take the same job. I could want to be you when I grow up, Tony, and say, what did he do here? What did he do there? And I got all your titles. And I end up two, lower, <laughs> two levels lower than you when it's all said and done and say, what happened? I ain't go, I ain't go, I ain't go to no party with shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, you're funny. You, you're just too funny. But here's the thing, though. You make a good point on the executive leadership development program because I got nominated to go to one, um, which, number one, I didn't even know they had one. Right. And I, you know, I had to, you, you, you just don't go, you gotta be, you know, not, you gotta be nominated and they, the school has to choose you. Right. And I was able to make it and I was able to go uh, to the university of Virginia, the Darden school of business. And it was awesome. Right. And, and that's something I'll never forget. And the people that I met there that was so talented, right. That, that I learned a million things from them. They learned things from me. But when you have a company that sponsors you like that, that makes you want to stay at that organization. That makes you want to grow in that organization. And that's an investment that the organization does to their employees that ends up paying back later on. And the next thing you know, this person now is CRO or CEO. Now they're, they're running the company, right? And the employees of the organization need to see that because they can say, wow, we're developing our own, and this is a place I want to stay. I'm not looking to go anywhere else because I have a really good chance here to move up because the company is investing in its people. So totally agree with you. And listen, you know, we're going to end out here. This has been my buddy for the first Tony Tidbit and Friends podcast that we did today. This was awesome. I loved your energy. I loved your intellect. I didn't understand a couple of the words, but I got it. So, <laughs> so any final thoughts? Uh, I think that if we if we just understand that um, if we can summarize and try to put ourselves in other people's shoes and try to look at it from all angles, you know, not just our angle, not the oppressive angle, but sometimes the angle of the oppressor, uh, you can get so much further in how you move and how you navigate. And I think one of the things that was very powerful that you brought up, Tony, as it related to the black tax is 
uh, you don't have to just accept it because that's the way it's been. You know, that's the, the psychology of familiarity, right? It's always been this way. It ain't going you know, you know, that's just the way it is. But sometimes you have to be willing to go out there and be uncomfortable. But I will challenge any person that's in a position of influence that maybe not, that's not maybe black, be okay with challenging yourself to be uncomfortable and just see, just see what else out there. It may be a situation where based on where you are, you go out there and you don't see anything. But I find that hard to believe because if you close your eyes and think about all of the people that are in high level positions that are black, they're all extremely exceptional. I can't say the same for other folks. I can't. And that's just the nature of things. And that should be more sad than anything else. When you say this dude is the vice president of fine. Man, he is the dumbest person I've ever met. You've never had that happen with the black person high up. It's always been he sharp. He might have a come off as abrasive or I've been considered. It's funny when I was in, in, in lower levels, my um, ambition and my attitude was considered contentious. And now that I'm at a higher level, I'm the same person, but now it's called high energy. I love your high energy. You know, my confidence was taken, you know, a certain way. But once I broke past a certain uh, title, now it's high energy. Same dude, same dude. But, you know, but we got to be able to navigate those waters. And, and I think together, these type of conversations help because you don't feel like you're on an island. You don't feel like it's just in my company. It's just in my region. It's just for me as a man or a woman or whatever the case may be. And this is what perspective is all about exactly so i appreciate well it. thank you my friend for bringing your perspective and we're looking to have more of your perspective as we move forward and thank you for tuning in to another episode of a black executive perspective podcast so you know we talked about a lot of different things hopefully there's some things that you took out of it so uh, but if not, please reach out to us and let us know. Share us your thoughts. And if you would like to come on and be part of Tony Tidbits and Friends on the Black Executive Perspective so we can hear your perspective, you're more than welcome. Reach out to our website. Definitely send us a message and we'll follow back up with you. However, it's now time for Tony's Tidbit. <laughs> Tony's Tidbit. Exactly. Right. So based on what we talked about today. Today's tidbit is by Denise Morrison, who's retired CEO and president of Campbell Soup Company. And Denise says the path to diversity begins with supporting, mentoring, and sponsoring diverse women and men to become leaders and entrepreneurs. And that's what we kind of spoke with a little bit at the end, though, Chris, is that sponsorship, right? That mentoring and developing them within your organization to eventually be able to run your organization. Thank you again for uh, attending a Black Executive Perspective podcast. As I stated before, please subscribe, give us a review, tell us your thoughts. You can follow a Black Executive Perspective podcast wherever you get your podcasts and also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn at Tony Tidbit DEP. For my uh, executive producer, Double A, Adrian Alvarado, for our new member of Tidbit and Friends, Chris Reed, I'm Tony Tidbit. We talked about it and we're out. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tony Tidbit, a Black Executive Perspective, and for joining in today's conversation. With every story we share, every conversation we foster, and every barrier we address, we can ignite the sparks that bring about lasting change. 
And this carries us one step closer to transforming the face of corporate America. If today's episode resonated with you, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with your circle, and with your support, we can reach more people and tell more stories.